Thank you for arriving safely on white shores, a far green country under a swift sunrise. Special episode today, as it's an audio recording from the DreamWorks Summit for the Shift Network that I had the honor to co-host. I really hope you enjoy it. Um, I did around 15 interviews of leading dream experts for that summit and um, had tremendous fun doing it. And if you'd like to see the visual version of this interview and all other 15 interviews that I did for the summit, you can check out on YouTube where I'll be uploading them to my YouTube channel. I don't really do much on YouTube, but I'm, I'm aiming to upload the visual versions of all these Shift Network dream work interviews that I did um, onto, onto YouTube. So do check it out. But I would love you to listen to the audio version first. And then as you're listening to it, this is a, a test for your intuition or precognition, a psychic test for you to see. <laughs> see if you can guess what backdrop I chose uh, for each guest I interviewed. Because I actually, I had great fun. <laughs> too much fun I think um, thinking about my guest researching them and then choosing a backdrop a proper backdrop not a virtual one um, um, to to compliment well I hope compliment um, the interview and also to surprise as I constantly say uh, dream work is surprising every dream you have will offer you something surprising or something you didn't yet know about yourself but you really need to do for your personal and spiritual growth Anyway, enough talk from me. You can check out all details about this guest and the Shift Network DreamWork Summit in the show notes. So if you're all ready, let's roll the tape. Welcome, everyone. I'm thrilled you are joining us today. According to dream interpretation pioneer Freud, and I quote, a dream is not a somatic phenomenon, but a psychic one. You appreciate the significance. And we have the perfect guest joining us today to help us fully appreciate the significance of psychic dreams. Parapsychologist, educator and researcher Lloyd Auerbach is the author of Psychic Dreaming, as well as a number of other illuminating titles. He is a primary instructor of online courses at the Rhine Research Center's education arm. He is president of the Forever Family Foundation, an adjunct professor at Atlantic University, and has appeared on TV, radio, podcast, in print, online publications, thousands of times, earning him the delicious title Professor Paranormal. In short, he's a legend. Hello, Lloyd. Hi there. <laughs> now, Lloyd, you, you shot to fame after the first Ghostbusters movies, but for those who are new to you and would like to know more, can you let us know how and why you've devoted your life to paranormal investigation and, and psychic dream research? Well, uh, it's been an interest of mine since I could read, actually, and possibly even before that, since uh, my father worked for, N for uh, NBC, and I had a TV set in my room when I was two, and there are paranormal shows on TV at that point, although they were scripted. So it's really been an interest of mine. Uh, I was fortunate in high school to be able to start a parapsychology club and meet some New York area parapsychologists, 
was able to timing-wise get a master's degree in parapsychology from John F. Kennedy University. So it's been kind of one thing after another for me. And the psychic dreaming piece actually came out of a discussion I had with my editor for my after my first book, ESP Hauntings and Poltergeists, in the mid-80s. And uh, it was just really a fascinating area. I knew Montague Ullman who, and Stanley Krippner, both of whom did the kind of seminal work on dream telepathy. So that was a really good kickstart for me to get into this. So what's the difference between, uh, I hate to call it a normal dream because I don't think any dream, I think every dream is extraordinary, but a a kind of a a symbolic dream and a psychic one in your your opinion. Well, one of the differences between a typical dream or a metaphorical dream and a psychic dream is the same as our normal perceptions versus psychic perceptions that there is information that comes into the dream state that is not already within you. So you have picked up information from the future, from outside yourself, uh, possibly if if it is related to a past life that it's coming through in that way. But it's not information that's in your normal memory. It's not information that's in your unconscious, uh, typical way. And it's really interesting for people because when I was interviewing a lot of folks about their psychic dreams of varying types, I would ask them, how do you know it was a psychic dream? Unless, of course, it happened and then they the dream happened and then they remembered it when the event happened. Most of the time, it was because it felt different. And that in itself, that very subjective experience happens with psychic experiences when we're awake as well. Absolutely. I mean, I'm always interested in people who devote their their their, t- their life, really, to paranormal dream investigation. There must have been some trigger something personal i mean to it's not it's not like you wake up every I'm in the morning and say i'm going to be a paranormal investigator there must have been some thing within you was there some trigger i'm just trying to find out what you know, drew you, you know, to this made it your calling what really made it my calling honestly i was a little science geek growing up but i was already always into science fiction and comic books and things like that and, and the tv shows and it just hit me that this was a mystery. The whole realm of psychic phenomena is a mystery that for whatever reason, and I I know many of the reasons that science just is ignoring, these are experiences that everyone has around the world. We've been having them for thousands of years. And there are always these toss-up explanations from the skeptics that just don't work uh, overall. So there's a big mystery. Um, I, I don't wanna say it was the final frontier for me, but pretty much that's kind of like that idea uh, since I can't get out into space right now. <laughs> so the, the whole idea of us connected to the universe, us connected to each other, that we are essentially more than what the world tells us we are. Human beings have much more potential. And this is one area that truly shines in that. Absolutely. Have you had a psych- psychic dreams yourself? I'm interested in your your personal experience of it. Yeah, I mean, I've had had a lot of psychic dreams over the years. You know, the thing is that we we talk about psychic dreams, and when people think about precognitive dreams, they're almost always people remembering or talking about an event where they they had a dream somebody dying or an accident or something major that happens in the world, something really negative or very emotional. But the reality is that most psychic dreams are very mundane. I mean, it could be a dream about walking to work tomorrow and looking on the ground and there's a $5 bill there and then it happens the next morning. So that may not be mundane for everybody, but that can be mundane for a lot of folks. Most psychic experiences are pretty mundane. 
And I think that's mostly what I've had. And for me, um, the precognitive dreams that I've had, for example, have been really interesting in that they've often come rushing back to me. I, I don't keep a dream journal per se, but if I'm in a situation and I have that deja vu feeling, you know, that can be many different things. There's different explanations for that. But what happens to me quite a bit is all of a sudden I remember a dream and I know what's going to happen next. And I freaked out my friends a few times because I knew exactly what was going to happen and what they were going to say. So oh, wow. <laughs> that that's, I guess it's suppressed a little bit, but they were so mundane that there was no reason for me to really notice them at that point. And then I've wow. also had also had an out-of-body experience in a dream state many, many years ago when I was working at uh, the American Society for Psychical Research. And we were doing out-of-body research with a psychic named Alex Tanis. And he told me at one point, oh, you're going to have experiences, Lloyd. And the next thing I knew, I did. Oh, out of body. Is that a dream? Astral travel? I mean, I'm often asked that myself. Is it? It's a struggle to answer sometimes. What's your yeah. take on it? Out well, of body, I mean, is it a dream? We, we tend not to use the term astral projection or astral travel. It comes with too much uh, baggage, occult baggage. Movie baggage, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and most people, according to the surveys that have been done, most people don't have the silver cord that pe- that's talked about in that. So uh, when we're talking about -about out-of-body experiences, we can have a dream about going out of our body. The question is, did you actually go out? Did you pick Mm. up information? So it really boils down to having a waking out-of-body experience. I mean, I can feel disembodied sometimes when I'm bored or too busy with work or something. But Permanent state for me. (laughs) Yeah, I think everybody feels that. It's like, I don't feel like I'm in my body right now. But changing your perspective, see either whether it's seeing your own body laying down in the bed or going somewhere else makes a big difference. And then is the information you got, is the description of the place you went to accurate? Is Was there anybody who saw you at that location? Did you interact with anyone? Almost like a living ghost at that point. And those things do come through quite a bit in, in dreams around out-of-body experiences. People do travel. Absolutely. I mean, there are thousands and thousands of accounts of it. And in any other field, it would be data, isn't it? Where's the research at at the moment in that, in out-of-body experiences? Uh, You know, I think most of the research on out-of-body experiences today is centered around those that occur during near-death experiences. Yeah. Uh, It's, uh, there's just not a lot of money uh, funding in parapsychology at this point. And there was a plan to do one, uh, to do an experiment that actually got kind of pushed back because of the pandemic. Unfortunately, you have to have people in the laboratory. And when everything's on lockdown or people are not interacting, a lot of research with participants has held back uh, because of the pandemic. Absolutely. I mean, we have to be concerned about our own bodies, let alone out yeah. of body. I, I can understand that. But I hope in in the future that that changes because it is such a fascinating area of work, the suggestion that the consciousness can exist separate from body and brain. Well, and it's it's supportive of the idea of survival of bodily death. I mean, part of what we do in our research is look at a number of factors. And and there is also the idea that maybe you didn't go out of your body, maybe you were just remote viewing, but you think you went out of your body. But then we have all these cases that are reported where people who you visited when you're out of your body witnessed you or interacted with you and that doesn't happen with just straight old esp oh i'm getting goosebumps i really am let's just unpick a bit psychic dreams now go through some of them let telepathy and dreams you you mentioned this earlier i'd love to know more that's a shared dream where people dream yeah Mm -hmm. so mutual dreaming um, is another term for that 
telepathic dreams. People who have an emotional connection often have the same dream or a similar dream at the same time. And it makes a big difference if it's on at the same time, because if if you told me about a great dream you had, and then I dreamed about it that the next night, that possibly is suggestion. That's not necessarily telepathy. So, or you were precognitively picking up on my dream. That's always a possibility too. So we look at situations where people do relate that they woke up in the morning, they started talking about their dreams, or they had a really evocative dream, and lo and behold, the other person did too. But it only it doesn't only happen to spouses or to partners. It can happen to people at a great distance. And there are a number of cases on record where people have talked about having a dream, feeling like, you know, my friend was in my dream. I should call my friend. You call your friend. And they had not only your name in mind, they were going to call you, but they had the same dream you did. And it's, again, it's people who have a connection, a typical emotional connection. And that's how telepathy tends to work the best anyway. Well, you're a well-known person in the paranormal field, a a really well-known person. Have you a have people written to you say that you've appeared in their dreams and how does that make you feel? And I've, I was, I mean, rarely it's happens, but occasionally people have said, Oh, I dreamt about you. It always feels a bit. <laughs> I'm trying to think. Uh, that's, that's a good question. I don't recall anyone saying they dreamed about me at all. Okay. Well, let's hope this, this video will change that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I will tell you that. I, I mean, when I had that out of body experience in my dream state, and then I had another one when I in a waking state a couple of weeks later, in both instances, I visited the same person. Um, in the first time, his, her daughter was with her, so they both saw me and interacted with me. The second time, uh, not so much. So she called me to let me, did, did you have a dream about me last night? And that was a really interesting thing, because I wasn't going to call her just because I had a dream about her that I went out of body. <laughs> Can you tell me about the research into telepathic dreams at the, at the moment, where where it is at? Uh, you know, there is... It's difficult to say. There are some folks in the re- around the world within parapsychology who are looking at the dream state, but the issue tends to be that we need to have access to a sleep lab to be able to do that. So it's more than just what a parapsychologist can do. Uh, when Stan Krippner and Montague Ullman did their work at Maimonides uh, Center Medical Center, they had a sleep lab to work with, and they did the seminal work on dream telepathy. And there have been other minor studies, and certainly looking at surveys of people's dreams, people have sent in their dreams or related what they have. And we've looked for norm for patterns within that. But we've focused mainly because of uh, funding and because of opportunity, we funded mainly on more waking state ESP type things. I know funding is an issue, but how open are sleep lads to having this kind of research going on about the dream state, you know, the paranormal I, element in dreams? You know, I, that's a good question. I don't think most of them are open to it. It really depends on where they're situated. So if they're at an American university, for example, because of the huge academic bias against parapsychology today, uh, which was generated and supported by the skeptics organization starting in the 70s, it becomes very difficult to get, even if they're interested, for them to do telepathy research with their dream state or with their sleep lab becomes an issue for mm. them. Mm. Is it so you're saying it's still today, there's still that bias? Has there not been a shift in recent years, especially with the pandemic, putting making everybody go inward in the lockdown dream phenomenon, for example? I, I would like to say that that is the case, but it's it's worse today than it was in the 70s before really? yeah 
the problem here, is, and this is not just with, with sleep labs, this is just in general in academia. And myself, my colleagues, uh, Dean Radin has related a lot of these as well, experiences as well. We meet people in the various fields of science. If they're in a group or at a conference or something like that, they will basically make fun of parapsychology. You know, it's all woo-woo, it's all this. And then they'll pull you aside separately and individually and tell you their ghost story or their psychic dream <laughs> or some other experience. They just don't want to admit it in front of anybody else because yeah. of the problem. This is American academia. Now, in the UK, you've got 20 universities that are doing anomalous psychology or parapsychology work because there are so many people that have graduated from the um, parapsychology unit of the University of Edinburgh in the UK. Yeah, so it's much more open there. Here in the US, forget about it. It's just, you know, I thought it was the other way around, obviously. No. Being UK based, I was thinking there was more openness. Now that's really interesting. I do know there's a very active university life, parapsychologists, you know, working. And I do know that there are a lot of students who want to study it. I mean, what yeah. what more exciting thing to do at university? <laughs> yeah, I mean, so we're 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 pretty much working the Rhine Research Center. Our education arm is offering courses uh, that are not academic per se. And I mean they're not accredited. We're hoping to work towards that at one point. Uh, yeah. But we have had classes on psychic dreams and dreams in general. Ryan Hurd, who is another uh, researcher author in the dream world, has been involved with that course with me. And we have a lot of students, which is great, many of whom are, would love to do it academically, but there's just no real opportunity unless you can find some professor in some department at some university who's willing to say, okay, the subject you want to do for your master's thesis or PhD dissertation, we'll let you do it. And that's really tough. And even then, it's not a degree in parapsychology. Well, I hope do hope that that shifts. Um, and I certainly found personally that the media is much more uh, less skeptical than it was and more engaged with the dreaming mind and the idea yeah. that we are spiritual beings having a human experience than ever before. I found that personally, having been around a long time. That, and I think the pandemic shifted that with the lockdown dream phenomenon in particular, that everybody was having these crazy dreams and mm -hmm. wanted to know why. And of course, when you start talking about dreams, you're talking about spirit and soul aren't you but anyway back to dreams um precognitive dreams what are your thoughts about those i know you've already spoken a bit yeah. about it but talk more, please precognitive dreams seem to be the most common kind of psychic dream and that may simply be because people notice uh the confirmation you know there are also other kinds of dreams but we hear about these kinds of precognitive dreams we've heard about them all our lives uh, they've made the news quite often there's some great examples. Uh, they a lot of them are mundane, but even the ones that are not mundane, that are very, very uh, visceral or emotional or crisis oriented, uh, they may or may not have something to do with you. And as an example, there were a number of folks on a network, an intuition network that I was part of, it was a neat group that I was part of before 9/11, and a number of people uh, turned out to have had dreams right or just weird sleep issues right before the planes hit the, the world trade center but months before there was someone who had posted something about having a strong dream he was positive with psychic of an aircraft hitting the world trade center so that reverberated and we've heard from other people that had similar dreams months before the biggest issue when we deal with precognitive dreams in general is can we change that future and the answer is we have to have the information to allow us to do that 
So there was a famous case back in the late 70s, a man named David Booth, who uh, was a computer salesman, and he had repeated dreams, recurring dreams. He wasn't a psychic. He had recurring dreams of a, of a jumbo jet crashing at O'Hare Airport in Chicago. And he could see what time of day it was, it was in the evening and so on, that it was a full plane and everybody was going to die and all of that. And it was, he also knew what the fault was in the aircraft. He could see that in his dream. So he called the FAA and I was fortunate to be able to be connected through a news person with uh, someone from the FAA's public relations department who had spoken to David Booth. And what he told me was he had that Booth was checked out. I mean, if this happened today and somebody called the FAA about this, Homeland Security would descend on their house. No question. Um, and it just because it would sound like a terrorist threat or something like that. <laughs> Uh, but he, the FAA took him seriously, mainly because of his discussion of the fault in the aircraft. And then they checked him out and he had no connection to anything whatsoever. He had no background in avionics. He couldn't have known this. And what I was told was, had he known the flight number at least, or at least the airline, because he didn't know what day it was going to happen, they would have considered sending out a notice to, all, to, to that airline specifically. The biggest problem, what I was told, was the fault that he saw was deep in the avionics of the aircraft, and it would have removed the aircraft from service for 24 hours. And for them to have done that for every jumbo jet coming into Chicago was not possible. So the event actually happened. Ah. So one of the problems we have with precognitive dreams or precognition in general is we often don't get enough information to do anything. Mm. And yet there are many times that I've gotten letters from people or talked to folks who have clearly told me that they had a dream of getting into a car accident. So, hey, they didn't go out that day. Uh, one woman wrote to me that she she thought she was supposed to go to Lake Tahoe from Northern California, from San Francisco. Uh, and it's it's a kind of, it's not a treacherous road unless it's snowing, but she, in the dream, she saw her and her friends getting into a real major accident. So she was trying to convince her friends not to go. She decided not to go. And right before they were going to go, their friends got freaked out enough to not go. So we don't know if the event would have happened or not. Yeah. On the other hand, another woman wrote to me about having a dream of her sister getting a real major blowout in a tire and crashing and dying. So her sister got scared enough to take the car in and have the tires looked at. And one of the tires... The, the steel treads were starting to come through the rubber and the guy told her, you're lucky you brought it in because this was going to blow. So now whether the dream about death was going to come true or just the blowout was going to come true, the dream about death might've been emotional enough to get her to do something with the sister. Oh. <laughs> Incredible. So what advice would you give to someone who believes they've had a precognitive dream it's very hard then isn't it do they report it do they alert people that they think might be in trouble what, what what's the best course of action because as you say i i believe precognitive dreams is my opinion are sort of potential futures that we yeah i agree will yeah. yeah but you know if someone has had a, that kind of dream what, what what's their best course of action i think they should try first of all try to write down as much detail as you can remember and see what's missing uh, and maybe even try to do a little dream incubation the next night and, and tell yourself, I need to have a dream to fill in the blanks to really get the extra pieces of the puzzle. Uh, unless it's about to happen that day, in which case it wouldn't really do any good to, to warn anybody. 
Uh, I do get people asking me, should I warn my relative that they're going to die? And and if it's not an accident, not something they could stop, if it's like a heart attack or something, unfortunately, telling someone, I had this really strong dream, you're going to have a heart attack. Power could, of suggestion. Yeah. yeah, it could stress on that person. So that person has a heart attack now. Uh, <sighs> we can also cause things to happen that way. That's not psychically causing it. That is just psychologically causing problems in that way. Yeah, because I, I do know there's a whole sort of secret community of professional intuitives, remote viewers, precognitives, whatever you want to call them. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, these people ha seem to have an enhanced ability to, you know, predict outcomes. And, you know, it's a huge responsibility for them if they know things to know what to do with that. Yeah, and one, one, one of the things they have to do, all psychics have to do, if they, if they are precognitive, they have to realize or learn that they may not get the full puzzle and they have to pretty much be okay with that. So Booth, for example, this gentleman who had the aircraft dream, not a psychic, so this was completely out of his worldview, uh, but from what I understood from the man from the FAA, that he had to see therapy, seek therapy because of kind of survivor guilt. He felt like he could have done more, but he really couldn't have done more unless he had known how to work with his dreams and get that additional information. Wow. Gosh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, uh, it's just extraordinary, isn't it? The potential of, 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 of the human mind. Um, but to carry on with that theme of, of psychic dreaming, can you actually dream of, because, you know, we pick up from our waking life things that appear in our dreams. We know that the dream state and the waking state are linked. But can you dream of places and people that you've never and couldn't possibly know or see? I know this is kind of tying into precognition, but is that possible? Have you had case history sent to you of people who have dreamt of places and people, conversations that happened and couldn't they could not possibly have known that? Well, we all hear about remote viewing all the time, and that's pretty much what's going on. It's clairvoyance, so awareness of real-time events and people. Uh, if it's distant, it's it's just like remote viewing. Unless, of course, you had an out-of-body dream and, and actually visited there when you're out of your body, uh, which is sometimes the confusion between the two. And we we have really good data from the Stargate program, the government U.S. government's program on remote viewing. Um, I co-authored a book with the the lead um, the director of the program and the lead remote viewer, uh, a book called ESP Wars. And there's so much evidence, so much good, good stuff out there. And that's just the government research. There is enormous amount of research that's been done within parapsychology that's public. Of course, the government stuff is all public now as well. Uh, that surely supports remote viewing as repeatable. Not always, uh, certainly not 100% accurate. ESP get, is mitigated by us our own ESP and our perceptions and what's there. And people second guess themselves quite a bit unless they've learned how to do this. So in a dream, you can have a really clear dream of a distant location. But when you wake up and start noting down what, what it was, you may start deciding to label things. And as soon as you label that, your memory has changed. Your perception has changed. So remote viewers have to learn, for example, to just write it all down, jot it all down, say it out loud. And then go back over it and make a separate note as, okay, here's where I think this place might have been. Gosh, you touched on Stargate there now. I mean, it's become much more in the public domain now, hasn't it? You know, it's been in the media a lot. But could you just share your, your you know, your involvement in that? 
Sure. Uh, well, first, the Stargate program, that was the latest name or the last name of the U.S. government program that mainly focused on remote viewing. Uh, it was kind of a psychic spying program. Started in 1972 at Stanford Research Institute, SRI, and eventually moved, it moved to different places uh, and different government contractors, actually. Uh, it also started out being kind of literally owned by the CIA, but then it bopped around to different government agencies, the Defense Department, uh, DARPA, other organizations had control of it. CIA got it handed back to them the last two years. And because of politics, it was mainly politics and funding issues and some real interesting high profile issues around psychic phenomena uh, and how it was kind of uh, politically unsafe for some people to support it, they ended the program. Um, so my involvement, actually, first of all, I've known Ed May, who was the program director from late 1985 till it closed in 1995. I've known him since the early 80s through the parapsychology community. I had no idea who was doing specifically government research. Interestingly enough, I visited him at SRI in the 80s, and they were doing both government situations. So they would be tasked with a location, top secret location, and they would also do regular research and remote viewing, the same people. So we knew that they were doing research on remote viewing. We didn't know the extent of the research for years. Uh, Ed, ha Ed had written a book with one of his colleagues, with Joe McMonigle, who was the number one viewer, and a couple other folks. And that book had included, actually, contributions from the Russians. Uh, Ed and Joe got to know their Russian counterparts in the 90s and still know them a little bit to, their, to this day, the folks doing remote viewing. And uh, they wanted it rewritten, so they brought me in to rewrite it and to add to it with some history and some other pieces to it. Um, it's a fascinating book. Uh, mainly the yeah. Russian stuff is really fascinating because it contradicts all the stuff we got from the Russians in Psychic Discoveries Behind the Iron Curtain and other things. There's a lot more to it than we thought and not as successful as we, uh, we thought might have happened. Um, the interesting thing about Stargate is it started, you know, the original program got started in 72, because we heard the Russians, the U.S. government heard the Russians were doing research on psychic spying and other psychic things. So they started their own program to counter that. But the Russians started it in the 60s, apparently because of rumors that were leaked that we were doing research on ESP, which weren't really true. Wow. So, well, I do know. I do know. Also, there's the U.S. military, isn't it? Does does do a lot of research in spidey sense, what they call spidey sense, intuition in soldiers, and yeah. uh, I don't know if precognitive dream research would be part of that. But they have spent millions trying to help soldiers be more intuitive or tap into their sixth sense. Uh, I don't know if that's still ongoing, but I did read that. So that's not related to Stargate at all. That's not related to Stargate at all. And there have been other groups that have brought in martial artists and brought in other folks to, yeah. to deal with a variety of different, what we would call psychic things. Uh, a lot of it, you know, Stargate was a full program. It was a black budget program, but it was still a full program. Ed May and Joe McMonigle tried actually to get something restarted with Congress, I think through like the early 2000s and certainly after 9-11. They actually had buy-in at that time from the Russians, uh, after the Russian counterparts to work together to find terrorists, but Congress didn't want to go for it because, again, it was politically un just unsound. Mm, uh, yeah, I can understand. Too much, too fluffy. So, <laughs> yeah, I, so we don't I, know. I, you know, I get asked all the time: Is the government doing remote viewing research? Is there? It's like, yeah, they could be, but it was probably a small group of people who were relying on that rather than an actual program 
because Ed's had I, I, I was surprised how many companies, um, big companies, actually do employ professional intuitives and precognitive dreamers. Um, but that that's another interview, Lloyd. Um, can we talk about afterlife dreams and and whether yeah. you know you think that spirits can talk to you in dreams or connect with you? So as you know, one of my main focuses is on evidence for life after death, for survival of bodily death. Um, I'm primarily known probably because of Ghostbusters as an investigator, field investigator, uh, more than anything else. I'm the ghost guy, so to speak. And are you the one they call the ghost? <laughs> I, I wish, you know, I <laughs> used to be who you want to call this Lloyd Auerbach, but ever since the TV shows, uh, and here in the States, one of my students a few years ago did a survey of the web. This is, of course, not the same number today. Yeah. She found th- over 3,000 active ghost hunting groups in the United States, active websites. Ghost hunting groups. That was five years ago. Uh, there are probably more and some of them had disappeared, but each one of those has many people. So it's and they're mostly covering, you know, following what they see on TV, which is a real shame because that's not how we do it. Um. But one of the things that's come out has been people have talked about their interest in the paranormal. So I think the plus, even though the investigators, the ghost hunters are not doing the right thing most of the time, but the plus is that people, the public are aware of this and they are talking about their experiences a little bit more. So that's a positive for us. And we do hear about dreams. And this is something that's, that's even going back to the early days of the Society for Psychical Research in the, eight, in the 1800s, that people have dreams of a relative who just died or they'll wake up in the morning and it's just like, I had this really interesting dream with my, about my grandfather. We had a conversation. He was saying goodbye. And then the phone rings and you find out your grandfather died in the middle of the night around the time you had the dream. So we have those kinds of experiences. That's a very common experience around death for people when it comes to what we call visitation dreams. Uh, but those are also the most common experiences in the waking state when you see a friend or relative or loved one around the time they died. So it translates to the dream state just as easily for that. But then there are some longer term situations where people actually have conversations with that relative well after they've died. And that dream feels very, very different. And I can say, honestly, I had that kind of dream. Uh, My grandfather died in New York. I could not, I didn't, couldn't even get back to the funeral and, and I knew he was, he was ill. He was, he was in the hospital. So we knew he was going to go anyway. Uh, but a couple of weeks afterwards, I had this really, really interesting dream, having a conversation with him and talking some things over and, and having, you know, my apologizing for not making it back to the funeral. And he's like, well, I was already dead. I didn't care. Uh, <laughs> It was, it was. A, I'm glad really, the dead have a sense of humor. <laughs> well, yeah, well, my grandfather had a sense of humor. So that was pr- pretty normal. Uh, and, and of course, I've had people say, well, that was your unconscious kind of finishing up. But I have to say that the context and feeling and the texture of the dream was so different for me than having, because I've had other dreams about my grandfather or about family members, and it was never like that. And it was very, it was very, very real. In fact, I, I can use the phrase that again, people have told me and didn't feel diff, just feel different. It was realer than real. So we we get that kind of report from folks. And sometimes mediums can even pick up on the fact that you had a dream about your grandfather or about your, your past parent or, or daughter or something. And I've seen that happen in some of the sessions we've had with mediums for the Forever Family Foundation, some of our group sessions, whether it's a grief retreat or one of our conferences, you know, for a medium to say, did you have a dream about this person? 
two weeks ago. And the, the person then says, yes, how did you know? It's like, well, because he's telling me that you had a dream, that he was appearing in your dream. And that kind of confirmation is beyond, you know, just chance at this point. Yeah. Because they don't say that to everybody. It feels like a hallmark uh, of, of, of afterlife dreams is how real. It's like the person is almost their all their mannerisms and it's so real and it's typically in an everyday setting isn't it like a bedroom it's not an extraordinary setting no it's um, not an extraordinary setting it's it's not you know there was a movie back in was it the 70s uh it's called dreamscape where dennis quaid actually was working with a group where they could actually insert his consciousness into people's dreams it's a really it's an interesting science fiction film it's not a horror film it's a science fiction film it's got a little danger in it because apparently somebody was going to assassinate the president by going into his dream and the president's dream and killing him. So he had, the other guy had a Dennis Quaid's character had to prevent that. And so it may, that was a very wild background. So the, the typical dreamscape was there. Uh, it wasn't a realer than real, wasn't a real setting most of the time, but in people's dreams, it's rarely, you're right. It's just, it's a bedroom. It's, it's their house. It's someplace that you would go to normally with that person. It might've been their house. Or something yeah. like that, and it just comes through as it comes through as very real for these people. Oh, God, Dreamscape sounds like a precursor to my favorite movie, Inception. <laughs> it sounds yeah. very much like yeah. Christopher Nolan's movie. But let's go to um, uh, past life dreams or future life dreams. Um, where are you at with that? You're thinking about that. So, you know, people have dreams that are, again, realer than real, that feel very real, that have the same kind of uh, sensations or emotions that other psychic dreams do. The problem we have is that we can't really prove that this is a reincarnation dream. Part of it is that there is an ability, we have precognition, we may have retrocognition, meaning we can kind of send our minds into the past as well. So were you that person or are you just simply focused on getting information about that person and how much of it is affected? So this is, again, you have to write down that dream. We have to, if we were going to do anything to see if it was a truly a past life dream, we would have to research all the information you put down. And then if it's possible that you read a book, saw a movie, were, were given information as an adult, especially about that person, about that scenario, there's a good chance that was not necessarily a psychic dream. And this is the same problem we have with hypnosis and past life regression. Uh, they're really interesting. They may very well have been past lives. And I would say that you could use that as a metaphor, like with past life therapy. Past life therapy is amazing therapy, mm. people, even if it doesn't prove that this is a past life at all. And the same thing with past life dreams. You can still use that dream in your daily life quite a bit. But for us, it's, it's not really good evidence because we don't have the kind of detail that we would need to indicate that really it was a past life. I guess I think the University of Virginia, wasn't it? They're pioneering um, that and they work with children's dreams. I guess that's very interesting because children, it's less likely that they'd have seen it or heard about it. I think there's a whole body of research. But um, another category of psychic dreams that I hear more and more about these days, especially as more people are becoming more um uh, focused on their inner world is sleepworker dreams where someone is in a dream and they find themselves being present at the passing of someone or or um helping others in their dreams have you heard about that i mean that kind of sleepworker dreams where you're doing spiritual work in your dreams for others 
Yeah, maybe I, that's I, the reason I, why you wake up exhausted in the morning because you've been really busy. Your spirit's been really busy. <laughs> I have heard that from a few people. It's not something that's come to my attention all that much. Uh, but I, over the years, I know some people who are helpers in general, like some of the psychics and mediums I know, will talk about having done that in their dream state. And I've known a couple of researchers who also had that experience and a couple of therapists who have had that experience as well. So it's, uh, and whether they've gone out of their body or connecting telepathically, we can't really say because we don't have the kind of information from the dreamer as to whether or not that was the case. Uh, but what's really interesting is that this would be a great direction if we can find people who are having multiple dreams like that especially if we can then verify whether or not the person who was being helped actually had a dream about that helper, or if there was a change in them once they had a dream, even if the helper didn't appear in the dream. The psychic healing. I guess if someone's intuitive and drawn to the psychic in their waking life, I mean, you don't stop being you when you fall asleep. It makes sense, doesn't it? That in your sleep, you're going to carry on being that empathetic, compassionate compassionate person now for people listening who really really excited about this and want to have a psychic dream but are thinking well my dreams are great and really exciting and great narratives and stories but they're not I wouldn't think they're psychic can you give some tips perhaps of how you can incubate or encourage a psychic dream well of course part of this is number one remembering your dreams so <laughs> you know that's the biggest thing that it is, it is. I, have to tell, I have to tell you that I'm not great at remembering my dreams I have so many other things going on in my life but when I was writing psychic dreaming um, I was remembering enormous amount of dreaming for myself simply because I needed to so I had a <laughs> I had a need to really remember this stuff to write the book yeah uh, I think when I turned the manuscript out uh, and handed it in it stopped that just stopped right away I moved on to something else uh, so part of it is, of course, telling yourself as you're falling asleep that you will remember your dreams. So it is that and even t- and incubating on an idea or having a dream about something. And of course, the other side of it is when you wake up, you've got to record that. And then you need to go back over it because as soon as we start forgetting the dream, that's that's done. But for the psychic piece of it, there's two pieces here. Number one, as, as part, part of that incubation, as part of your falling asleep, you want to give yourself the instruction. And permission, you have to first give yourself permission to be psychic in your dreams. Because one of the things we know is that people are often inhibited. They have a psychic experience and suddenly it freaks them out. So you really have to give yourself permission to be psychic. You can ask to, you know, you're going to, let's say that you're going to ask for a raise the next day or or promotion for at work. You can ask to have a dream about that event So you know how it's going to go unless you actually have the information in advance. And people have been able to do that, to get that kind of information. So if you're going to do something or be in in a situation, you can ask to have a precognitive dream about that event in the future. And then you can use that information to either alter it or make sure it happens the way you want it to happen. Pretty much. That is a brilliant tip, uh, Lloyd. And I'm glad to say that you sometimes struggle with dream recall because I find that sometimes too. I have periods when I dream really vividly and then it's just like, and I always feel a bit sad when I wake up and I haven't got dreams on my mind um, because it's such a gift, isn't it? Um, Priceless gift when it is. So have you you got another dream recall tip? Yeah, I mean, the other for, for psychic dreaming, for dream recall, I think it's really a matter of getting in the habit of doing both of those things telling yourself as you're falling asleep and then also really focus on 
recording it in some way. I mean, you can, I mean, everybody has their phone sitting next to their, their heads in the middle of the night and actually in the morning. So just go to the record function and record that rather than having to worry about writing it down. But go back yeah. over it for sure and see if you can fill in anything else that's there. The other tip actually for a psychic dream is to, in your waking life, you might practice being aware. Um, you know, the thing is that extrasensory perception, which is what we're talking about here, is perception. It's not your normal senses. So it's stuff that's added to your normal senses. So there are exercises folks can do to focus on their normal senses for a minute or two every day. Just go through your senses. What am I smelling? What am I feeling? Like, how does my butt feel in the chair? How do my feet feel in my shoes? Your sense of touch is your entire skin, not just, you know, your fingertips. Focus on things around you. Um, I usually tell people that they should not be in a very Spartan room with nothing on the walls. They should be someplace cluttered because they need to look around and notice things consciously. Yes. And then in a place where they can hear, listen for any ambient sounds around and focus on those sounds and even go to a small restaurant next time you're there, eavesdrop, start deciding <laughs> who you want to listen to. And you'll find that you can actually focus on specific conversations around you within earshot that way too. And all of that allows you to now suddenly see, oh my God, there's this other stuff. It's not my normal senses. That's ESP. Yeah. Brilliant advice. Because we know, I mean, dreams are, are looking like, like a radar, isn't it? Your dreaming mind is taking from your waking life because we know that that filters into your dream. But can it be the other way around? Can your dreams actually influence your waking life? Absolutely. I, I think this in general, our dreams can, because there are unconscious very often providing things can influence us. And from a psychic perspective, having had a, a psychic dream, maybe if you didn't remember it, let's say, but about something in the future, again, in that situation, you may be pushed or may make a decision. It may seem like intuition at the moment, but it very well could have been that your dream about the event now is telling you, uh oh, don't do that, do this, because this is going to be better than that. So we can be influenced in that way as well. Oh, you you make me think of that Edgar Allan Poe quote, all that we see or seem is but a dream within a dream. Oh, given what we've heard um, today, Lloyd, which has been riveting, thank you. Is there one thing you'd like to leave us with today or a step our listeners can take to make their lives more psychic or their dream life more psychic? Well, well, okay, so I'm going to give you the advice or the, the statement that Alex Tennis, the psychic I worked with so many years ago, who triggered my out-of-body experience, told me. To become more psychic, notice you already are. To become more psychic, notice, notice. that you already are. I love it. I love it's just it. just like as, as soon as you start writing down your dreams, you have greater dream recall because you're reinforcing that process. Ha noticing the psychic things that are happening in your life reinforces that and increases your belief in the function, which absolutely increases your psychic awareness. Brilliant. Thank you. And can you just share your contact details, the best portal to your universe, so how people can find out about you? Probably the best the best uh, portal is my Facebook page, which is Lloyd. It's facebook.com slash Lloyd.Auerbach.Author. And just know that Lloyd is spelled with one L, because you spell with two Ls, you won't find me. <laughs> And the other, the other thing you can do is I am absolutely open to people contacting me via email, which happens all the time. And that's profparanormal at gmail.com, P-R-O-F, like Professor Paranormal at gmail.com. Or you can follow me on Twitter at profparanormal.
That is a real gift. So profparanormal at gmail.com. That is a real gift. How generous of you. Thank you so, so much. Um, And just thank you from my heart and soul for your time and participation today, Lloyd. I truly, truly appreciate it. Thank you, Teresa. Always great to see you. (laughs) And you too. And wishing everybody who's listened to this interview the most psychic of dreams. Thank you from my heart and soul for being here and walking beside me in spirit on white shores. Sensitive, kind, compassionate souls like you who see beyond the material are needed more than ever today to help this earth heal and evolve. If you have any questions, stories or insights to share, I absolutely love hearing from you and aim to reply to everyone in due course. My website is www.teresachung.com. My contact email is angeltalk710 at aol.com. And you can message me via my Instagram handle, the Teresa Chung, as well as my Facebook and Twitter author pages. Until we meet again on these white shores, keep being amazing spiritual you, sending my eternal love and gratitude.